Hey everyone, it's 8 p.m. East Coast. Welcome to this episode 63 versus Media Live, Taylor Swift X. <laughs> uh, for a few days now, the, the biggest story just going around social media has been the uh, disappearance of assets of a large digital exchange, and people are wondering wondering where their money went, where their assets, where their inventory is. There is rampant chaos. People don't know what to do. The person at the center of it all is just completely silent, haven't heard much. And now the government is, of course, like they always do, threatening to step in and, and regulate. And yes, of course, I'm talking about Ticketmaster and Taylor Swift. Uh, it's fair to say Taylor Swift is the uh, Sam Bankman-Fried of the pop music industry. Um, apparently, there, this is a huge deal. And uh, <clears throat> the, the thing I notice is... <laughs> people getting upset at Ticketmaster is like a generational rite of passage. Those of us who, you know, experienced it in the early days of Pearl Jam and stuff like that, um, we just kind of sit back and laugh. Um, I talked a little bit on my podcast today. I don't, I don't get the thing with Taylor Swift. I don't understand the cultural phenomena behind her. I see a product who can kind of play guitar, and that's about it. Certainly can't really sing, certainly doesn't write their own material, is overproduced, kind of changes personas from album to album because that's what you have to do to stay relevant. And uh, I, I don't get it, but we're mainly going to talk about the ongoing saga with uh, Sam Bakeman fried who's a CEO tech, supposed tech billionaire of FTX, which declared chapter 11 bankruptcy, <clears throat> which if you've been following along on social media, I don't want to get too much into the weeds. I do have a few things uh, I want to throw out wall street silver account on Twitter posted some just the most updated thing from uh, Business Insider that says a new bankruptcy filing shows that the value of FTX's crypto holdings is just $659,000 after Sam Bankman-Fried said they were worth $5.5 billion. And I guess the most fascinating thing about this, and I wrote in Spectator today about <clears throat> the need for media, every media company that he invested in with grant money to talk about, uh, you know, pandemic preparedness or climate, which I think it's just another word for climate. Um, Damon, get back up here. You were going to be first. Um, is uh, To me, it's just another word for climate, and he's investing into media companies that uh, simply believe or what you know he can exploit for them to believe. And this is all, how does someone, how does this kind of awkward, goofy 29-year-old data nerd able to convince everyone from a Hall of Fame quarterback to Larry David to uh, Major League Baseball to naming rights on, on an arena. And it all is pretty much comes down to the idea and the belief system of effective altruism, which is the idea. And it's, it, this is kind of to me like an elite progressive cult like philosophy where it sounds so good that you that you have to get in on it. And it goes from everyone from Bill Gates to uh, Jeff Bezos to the World Economic Forum to people who are in media. And they all kind of ascribe to this idea that, you know, the job is to not maintain wealth or uh, good capitalism. It's to shape the world uh, in a better way that you see fit. The problem is, is that this involves pushing out any other disagreements or arguments or opposing views. And this idea is kind of been leveraged in several different ways. And 
my job is primarily to look at how it's being leveraged in media, which is why this thing fascinates me with this guy and the way he was donating money to outlets like Vox and Semaphore and ProPublica uh, and several others. Sorry, the cat's having a sneezing fit. He does that. Um, and I wrote today at Spectator that these outlets really need to come clean about the nature of their agreement, the financials of their agreement. We know that ProPublica was given $5 million under the guise of pandemic preparedness, except uh, some people have done some digging into exactly what that means. And uh, it comes down to just basically eliminating all virology research in some areas. Um, I'm someone who I'm hesitant on that topic as well. I don't mind biology research. I just don't want it done in fucking China <laughs> or by the United States Defense Department. I, I don't think I'm asking too much. But you've seen several media outlets kind of handle this guy with kid gloves the last few days. Uh, you had the New York Times, how Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire collapsed. Mr. Bank, Mr. Bankman-Fried said in an interview that he expanded too fast and failed to see warning signs, but he shared few details about his handling of FTX funds. So New York Times framed this guy like, oops, it just collapsed. I don't know what happened. The company just went unsolvent. And someone noted on Twitter that uh, it portrays him as kind of a charitable entrepreneur who just went under and does not mention the words fraud, criminal, substance abuse, friends and family, Bahamas, Casey Racket, hacks, stolen funds, or wiped servers. And what's interesting about the way with the New York Times frame that is uh, next week, Sam Bankman-Fried is still slated to appear at a uh, New York Times in partnership with the World Economic Forum. Uh, Accenture is supposed to be hosting a live event with Sam Bankman-Fried. Also sitting with uh, in on this is uh, Vladimir Zelensky, Mark Zuckerberg, Janet Yellen, basically a who's who of the global Illuminati minus Taylor Swift. And so the idea that he didn't really donate to the New York Times, but again, it's because of his philosophy is why he's one of the good guys. We also saw the Washington Post basically treat this guy. And let me find that I have like 50 tabs here. FTX collapse dooms founders effort to prevent another pandemic. And again, the reason why he's being referred to this way is just the philosophical alignment of effective altruism. Jeff Bezos, the boss of the Washington Post, has decided to jump in on this uh, gig as well by saying he's going to eliminate all of his wealth. He's going to get rid of it. He's going to donate it to causes and, and things like that and political campaigns. Same thing as Sam Bankman-Fried did. Uh, of course, the same day that Bezos announced that, he laid off 10,000 employees at Amazon. <laughs> so guess which one got more play? And what I find interesting about this is the media is kind of hard on for someone like Elon Musk, who kind of sniffed this whole thing out early on when I guess SBF came to him for investment and Musk said, let me see your books. And he looked at him and went, this stinks. There's, there's no board of directors. There's, you know, there's no, we, we can't see your data. We can't see your financials. And uh, he just, he kind of rooted it out right away, according to Musk on Twitter. And so it's interesting to me that someone uh, who is kind of, Enemy, public enemy number one to the media right now uh, is the bad guy, while Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post and believes in the same kind of voodoo, is generally portrayed as one of the good guys, and as is Bill Clinton, and as is the World Economic Forum, and uh, groups of this nature. And this, to me, gets down to kind of, this whole thing has opened up so many rabbit holes about uh, cryptocurrency, the stability of that, 
the stability of these exchanges, as well as the, the governing philosophy behind it. And that's what's interesting to me in the sense of digging into exactly what the meaning of effective altruism is and why so many of these people are on board with it. And if SBF is one of them out here basically pushing it, and Zed Jelani last night on Twitter had an interesting question. He said, do you believe that, do you think that he believes this or is he just pushing this to the right people? And that's what I replied with Zed was, as I said, I believe that he knew which people believe in it and he knew how to target that. He had a series of DMs with Vox, a Vox reporter, where he made a pretty, I don't want to say stunning admission, but something that, you know, is one of these things we talk about with woke corporatism is, you know, when Burger King decides to go, LG, you know, Pride Month with its rappers, are they actually supporting the, the gay community or are they just doing this to make money? And you see how pride has just been kind of uh, commercialized in some ways. And the reporter asked him, you were really good at talking about ethics for someone who kind of saw it all as a game with winners and losers. And he replied to this reporter, yeah, he, he, I'll try not to do his voice. I had to be. It's what reputations are made of to some extent. I feel bad for those who get fucked by it, by this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths and then everyone likes us. And isn't that kind of the whole truth behind what wokeness is and what uh, effective altruism is? This idea that, you know, especially in journalism, you're you're not there to get the facts of a story, no matter which parties it involves. If it's a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, it's our job is to make the world better. And we think that X, Y, Z of the Democratic Party are the people to do that. And so uh, the fun thing about this story is it's just getting started. Um, but there are so many just kind of layers to it. And no, I'm not getting into the sex tape. Um, my angle is, of course, trying to find out the exact nature of the funding that went to media companies. Semaphore, in a statement, said Bankman Freed had become an investor in at least one for-profit organization. This one, the former crypto billionaire, invested in Semaphore earlier this year. Uh, from spokesperson Mira Patney said, we closed, we closed our seed round in May and received all investments in full in USD. While we were monitoring the evolving situation closely, we don't anticipate an impact on our financial outlook or our business. So it sounds like Semaphore got all of their money. The problem is, is it's not their money. It's money that was harvested from users under false pretense, as well as money given to political campaigns. And then the question is, how is that retrieved for the people who are currently frozen out of their crypto exchange? There's an there's an attitude out there that says these people believe it. You joined a, you know, a, an exchange, it wasn't backed FIDC and it's your fault and you're a sucker for it. And I, I can kind of understand that sentiment. But when people are being told by the likes of Tom Brady and Larry David and other celebrities and Giselle Bunchen and others, hey, you got to get in on this, you can kind of understand just in the nature of celebrity and pitching why people would be, oh yeah, this looks fun, this is exciting. So that's how I'm going to continue to monitor this. Again, I, I want the doors blown off this completely. And I don't care what, what that has to take. I want to know the exact nature of the financial arrangements he gave to these media companies in exchange for probably coverage that he wanted or positive coverage on things of pandemic and bioethnicity and climate and under any other guys and pushing crypto or whatever, because that will say a lot about what our journalism industry actually is. So, um, I just want to get thoughts if, if you were involved in any of this. Are, are you trading crypto? Does this make it uh, 
more does it make it does it make it more hesitant for someone to do that i mean i'm on coinbase i don't have a huge crypto balance for exactly this kind of reason <laughs> i don't really uh I, I trust one bank with my money and even that i don't really trust a bank um and so i just kind of want to get your thoughts on this uh, your thoughts on something along the lines of uh effective altruism and it this just feels like you know, a fad of globe, progressive global elites to all jump in. As I noted, Bill, Bill Gates is kind of the biggest one that does this. And Bill Gates has said, I'm giving away my wealth, except we know that Bill Gates is spreading his wealth in ways where it makes you skeptical, skeptical about the power structure and the global power structure. This is a guy who's basically telling us all to start eating, you know, lab grown meat and, and bugs. And so that's how this plays out. So we'll go for about uh, probably till about 9.15 here uh, Eastern and uh, just the uh, usual ground rules. Just try to keep it kind of fast. I know it doesn't always uh, it doesn't always work. And if you can just please mute your microphone. Um, I unfortunately cannot right now because I even though I have a dog chewing on something. Um, but just please mute your microphone. It just makes it more enjoyable for the listener as well as the published recording. And just I want to try to get through as many people as possible. I will start with Faye. Uh, protocol, which I've been usually doing. And so, Faye, give, give me your wonderful insider thoughts on this whole thing. Okay, well, I just have to put down what I was doing because I thought I was going to get kicked in the back of the queue, which would have been completely legitimate. So I will... I no, will I, was, I, was looking, I was looking back here, and it's, it's a lot of my usuals. So uh, I, might, I might bump somebody up, but it's, most of my usuals are back there, so they can wait. Okay, so I'll try to be quick. Um, just wanted to briefly share kind of my background, learning and investing and how it relates to media coverage, uh, because this did not surprise me at all. Um, when I was a, a wee young one growing up in Maryland, our family investment advisor was a man named Julius Westheimer. Everybody used to call him Westy, and he was kind of a true gentleman. I don't know how else to explain it, like a, just a kind that doesn't exist anymore. And my parents, who are both immigrants, and you, you who, kind of have to be with the know, name Westheimer. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not really a my, rude guy's name when we're getting. <laughs> he, he was um, of German Jewish origin, so you know my parents who were immigrants, and certainly when they came to this country, really did not have a lot of money at all. Even though they, you know, they came as teenagers, um, wanted to make sure that their kids grew up with an appreciation of money and not turned into like, you know, spoiled rich kids or whatever who managed to use it appropriately. So they had Westy kind of speak to us a little bit also because they wanted us obviously not to know their balance sheets, but that we should grow up with good principles. And he's given me three principles of investing that I still remember <laughs> these many years later. Um, one is he said, you should always acknowledge that there's no such thing as a free lunch, meaning that if something seems too good to be true, Investment-wise, it is. Stay away from it. Number two, he said that you should never go with an investment advisor who can't explain his investment strategies in a way that you understand. So you're never going to understand every detail of you know something that a financial advisor does because you're not in finance. But if he's being honest and he knows what he's doing, he should be able to break it down for you in a way that you understand it and that is reflected in what he shows you. And the last thing he said is never invest money that you can't afford to lose. So I have kind of followed 
those three principles, my personal investments, I'm going to be honest, this is going to be a little cliche, but um, my husband also a Jew, works in finance. So he handles the majority of investments for our joint assets, but I do a little bit of my own. And I found that even though I've tended to be more conservative by following those principles, um, I've never gone wrong. And the reason why I bring it up in terms of the media is because Westy was famous. There might even be stuff on the internet about this, not only for being a successful financial advisor, but he did a lot of media work in the community um, for free. He had like a, a radio show, I think, once uh, or twice a week. He gave advisory classes just to regular people in universities. He had a column in the paper on personal finance. So he did a lot of media work, and it was all geared towards giving people good, strategic, kind of safe advice. I mean, you know, his there are different levels of safety in investing in general. And so if you had the assets for it, he would help you get there. But the idea was about educating people in finance and making sure they really understood what was going on and so that they wouldn't, so they'd be educated consumers and not lose their money. And I think of Westy a lot because I think his principles, like I said, have, have served me well financially and just his good life principles also. And he was a very honest and good person, which you don't unfortunately always see in finance. Um, but because he used his media platform, even though it was a, a local one, to do good things. And I, you know, I think about FTX when I was reading about it, I was so not surprised. I do have a little bit in crypto, not through FTX, but you know, the reality is I remember saying when this guy started coming up, SVF, I remember saying to my husband, like, does he seem a little bit made off E to you? And he's like, Yeah, I'm getting those vibes. Yeah, like what know? what gave that kind of vibe? Like <laughs> I saw like this was... video, this promotional video of Sam doesn't want to get wealthy. Sam <laughs> take your money and you guys a corona. And I thought it was like something out of South Park. Oh, yeah, I heard that on the podcast. Yeah, I thought it was something out of South Park when I first saw it. He's like, we need to be prepared to take on these Amazon diseases. And I'm just like, oh, that's what he fucking sounds like? Okay, I'm out. Like, no offense, but that was it right there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I would have just shown him the door right there if he would have come in in a T-shirt. And, yeah, so, I mean, I guess I look at it and I'm like, yeah, how does a guy like this? Just bring in so many people like, you know, I can understand just people, you know, seeing a commercial and deciding to join FTX and be like, hey, I'm going to put some money in crypto and see how this goes. But how does somebody like Tom fucking Brady, who has an army of financial advisors and not one of them goes, Tom, can we talk for a second? Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, I I have a theory about this, which kind of plays into what I was about to say also that I think this is a function of the unfortunate time period in which we live. In which, you know, I, I hate the Kardashians with the heat of a thousand suns for sort of introducing the era where everybody thinks that they can and should be some kind of star. I also think it's just he 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 know he knows about this philosophy about do goodism, you know, yeah, well, and right, and like, I think it's it sounds so good to that certain class of people like, you know, progressive elites. But then someone like Elon Musk can go, you're full of shit. Get get out of here. And Elon well, Musk is like the bad guy right now and it's weird to me like how that I think my point ultimately also was that the media since I know I know that's your your area specialty it really has a lot to answer for in the role they help to hide people like this because you look at him you look at Madoff you look at Elizabeth Holmes um, and the media plays such a strong role in my opinion in, in in just hyping these people up and so 
then important people get hooked in. And one thing I have learned in life, which is kind of hilarious and which everyone should realize is that you might think that these people who operate at the highest levels of wealth and power are smarter. Um, and I think in many cases, they're really not because they'll go by what one does. Everybody will. We'll yeah, I think that that's, um, that's a big part of this. And especially in a world where everyone's like connected through social media and stuff like this, where, yeah, I mean, if like, if Chuck Todd is going to have this guy on his show and just shower him with, oh, you're so innovative and, you know, you're doing this and doesn't even he doesn't even take the time to research this and look at this guy's company and go, why don't you have a board? You know, like ask basic questions about finance or Jim fucking Kramer is calling this guy the next J.P. Morgan. Well, I mean, the fact that like, Jim if, Kramer if, if, his if he's appearing record. on NBC and stuff, then of course the New York Times is going to gaga over him. And of course, the Washington Post is going to be like, oh, he's just a poor, hapless CEO who just he got in over his head a little bit. Um, it's like he transferred 11 million dollars to the fucking Bahamas. This is not a guy who got in over his head. <laughs> You know, I just, I, you know, it's included, I guess, that if anybody had any sort of, I don't know, integrity left, there would be major questioning about the fact that, first of all, the media took money from him, which were correct. Just, I mean, I'm just finding this out. I didn't know that before this week. Yeah. <laughs> he was literally giving money, which, you know, I don't see how <laughs> I work for the federal government and I get fired and prosecuted for that, taking money. <laughs> from someone and you know people knock the government with good good reason but i'm well no saying, this was grant money uh, remember it's just grant money it's just oh, un, yeah. under <laughs> the guise of philanthropy it's just it's just grant money it's not taking money and expecting good coverage or to oh, you know basically make sure nobody looks into you like if this dude came to me and be like hey i'll sh i'll go ahead and finance this but here's what you gotta write xyz i'm gonna do be doing background checks on this guy left and right i'm gonna be like okay what don't you want me to look into and report on because that's weird and again this all just comes down to what the nature of media thinks they are now it's not journalism it's not fact finding it's not interesting human nature stories it's we're pushing we're pushing this do-goodism agenda and this long-termism is another one somebody called which is you know you're investing the most money to do the long for the most long-term good and like i said i just Greta Thunberg's scrunchy little face comes into my mind whenever I hear this stuff, because that's that's why they all jump behind a 17 year old true at Swedish climate teams. Oh, she she's just saying the guy's sick. And it's just like, oh, God, how are you fucking she's like they're falling for this? And you're right. It's all just groupthink. It's all just the need to kind of, but that's what media is. A perfect example is you look at the coverage of John Fetterman. You had one reporter, one reporter who was NBC, who, so it's in their tribe, goes, I don't think he can understand what I'm saying. And then she just got dogpiled by an entire industry. And I, and I think that that's a good example of this as well, of how, how we can sit here and go, I'm not giving this fucking guy a dime. Are you kidding me? Um, but they're all just like all in because he's just telling them, uh, the, you know, the, the speech and the spiel about what a effective altruism is. And I just want to make the world a better place. I don't want to be wealthy. Oh, he sounds good. Okay. How much do you want? And it's just, it drives me crazy. It's because like I said, the Musk dynamic here, it's not so much Elon Musk. Like, I don't really care about that. But it's how all the people who think that he's like an idiot ready to just destroy Twitter, he's like the he, him. And then there was two other investors that said, no, no way. Well, I'm not getting in on this guy. There's something weird going on here. Um, there well, was nothing not weird going on. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> yeah. It's, 
like I, I saw this guy speak and I was like, oh, nope, nope, nope. And I'm just thinking about this and I'm like, but how is it the Jeff Bezos and his reporters and the New York Times and all of those people uh, who have Musk as enemy number one on their radar, they all fell for this. And that to me is the dynamic at work here. It's the, it's the governing philosophy that's being pushed by people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and the World Economic Forum. And that's not a conspiracy theory, okay? Maybe they're not lizard people-ish, kind of, but it's not a conspiracy theory that they're all in on this thinking our job is to save the planet. And no, that's not your job. I had a great podcast comment today about that. There, you know, where woke corporatism feeds into this. And somebody on Twitter said, I think Holden, who I like a lot, said this SBF thing should be a giant wake up call to woke corporatism on the natures of this philosophy. And I said, are you kidding? They're all in on it. It's a it's a feature. It's yeah, I mean, I'm just going to cite one example and then hang up, which is uh, this. This is the um, Elizabeth Holm case has been something of very strong interest for me because my mom is a hematologist and she said from the beginning, like, this doesn't make sense what she's saying. You need, you cannot use a tiny pinprick of blood. And she was so hyped up by the media. And it was a reporter for the, he was then a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, John Carreyrou, who took her down, which wasn't his intention. He just had questions and he was doing his job. Um, and she, you know, almost ruined his life, had him stalked and everything like that. But if he hadn't done his job, who knows how many people, you know, would have been hurt and if she would have been ever brought down. So there's a great, there's I mean, a great photo of to... her sitting right next to the current president of the United States. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are. And it was the same kind of deal where all these probably some of the same people, actually, who were in on yeah. supporting that as now Clinton, everything. So <laughs> it's, you know, just I, the, it, it's the natural end to me of like elite progressivism, which is if you just say the right things. You're in the club. And by the way, once you're in the club, even if you defraud millions of dollars from people, you're still going to get the New York Times and the Washington Post treating you with kid gloves. I just hope people learn from this, if nothing else, just to (laughs) think critically for yourself (laughs) because you can't trust anything you're told. Yeah, Uh, you, you have more optimism on that than I do. Well, we have a, we have like we have an entire generation. I, I don't know who pointed this out, but we have like an entire. I think it might have been Seth Mandel who said we have an entire generation of these people coming up. An entire generation of Zoomers and Millennials who believe in altruistic. You know, they're learning about effective altruism, and they and that's what they think they're going to do. It's no different than you know you putting the black square on your Instagram account, and if you don't do that, then no, I'm sorry, you're not sitting with us. And that's the problem. You have an entire generation being brought up on this philosophy. They're being indoctrinated with this philosophy. And it's going to lead to so much ruin, but maybe that's. Okay. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Faye. It's good to hear from you. Where is he back there? Oh, Damon didn't get back up here. David, go ahead. Hello? Yep, you're there. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. So I don't have, um, I did have a lot of money invested in crypto uh, a couple months ago. Uh, I took it all, I took most of it out and I used it mostly to. How, how, mu- how much did you, don't tell me the exact amount, but how much did you, like five digits, five figures, three figures? <laughs> well, what I did is I used it to gamble on sports okay. in Florida. Right. And then. I took it out and then I just went to cash because, you know, things changed <laughs> with crypto. But, um, yeah, it was nothing like a big investment. So I, I do know people who 
or pulling their hairs out. The, the, the were you were you on were you on FTX or a different platform? I used FTX because they mostly because um, they sponsored the Heats Arena, and that's how I you know I thought it was a trusted somebody I could trust <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, yeah, right? and, uh, and there, there are, like you said, there's millions of people like you right now who are just sitting there going, there went, there went $10,000 or whatever. <clears throat> um, what did you, what, so you, so we, you went and you used FTX because of the arena. What did, what was alluring about that platform? What made it different that you said that you liked, did you like using it? Was it easy to use? Did it make things easier? I saw I something did. like the exchange rate was 8%. <laughs> which I think was just nuts, but um, yeah. go, tell me, like, why, why, once you were on it, like, what kept you on it? Like, you know, I use Coinbase, and I don't really, I check it once in a while, but um, what what was it about FTX that, besides the, you know, the naming of rights that you did? Ease of use, easy transfers, um, once again, able to use it on sports gambling, and uh, <laughs> it was just, it was just very easy, and I only, I didn't really have a competitor. I didn't really use anybody else. I never really thought about any, any other app with FTX. Um, but how I got, how I became acquainted with it was the Miami Heat's Rena and seeing it all over sports and Tom Brady and Eric David. And I just picked one. Yeah. So they were, they were on the floor of the Miami Heat's Arena. And when you go to games there, you would, you'd be able to see it before they even got the naming rights. Um, yes, and someone, I mean, I just saw this today, too. Like, they were all over Major League Baseball. Um, and I don't really watch baseball, so I didn't know this. But um, they, they they had, like, on the umpires, they had the FTX logo on the umpire uniforms. And <laughs> they had them all over MLB.com and MLB Baseball and, and all of this stuff. They And it's like, how many people are going to get sued over this? We already have a class action lawsuit against Brady and Bell, but I mean, is is baseball going to be involved in a class action lawsuit? This is going to get, I mean, like I said, the the blast radius of this hasn't even yet begun to be felt. And and forget the fact that, you know, he probably has like an Jeffrey Epstein-like Rolodex hiding somewhere. (laughs) This this is, I mean, I I guess that's what shocked me. It's like, this got everywhere and nobody stopped to ask questions about it. It was just like, Oh yeah, let's do this. And it was like, wait, hold on. What? Um, and I'm just, I'm not huge into crypto or anything like that. I know a little bit about it, but um, when I got into Bitcoin, the main reason I, I started using Bitcoin is because it, people are it's starting to use transactions. So like you can just go for PayPal and you can use it for actual real world transactions. So I'm like, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep some money in Bitcoin. Um, but I have guys who are like, you know, trying to get me into other things and Ethereum. And, so, and I'm just like, whoa, no, nope, nope. I'm good. I'm good right now for this until, you know, <laughs> until, you know, my bank folds or something. So, yeah, I, I don't understand how they got so, so fast knowing what. Yeah. And another thing, uh, the Taylor Swift thing. Uh, yeah. Another th- uh, those apps like Ticketmaster and Nike have something in common where they, they have these raffles and you get online at a certain time. And with Nike, you're trying to get shoes. And uh, Nike is having to go through over a lawsuit uh, right now uh, with one of, because they have been, they, people are alleging that they have been reselling, sending their shoes to resellers. 
and marketers instead of just normal people, and they're trying to crack down on that now. Um, I, it would just be interesting to see if something like that happened with Ticketmaster, where they're selling it to uh, selling tickets on purpose to resellers and not regular customers. Um, and also, I don't think the Taylor Swift thing. You know the what on the Taylor? What? I'm sorry. I, I don't get the Taylor Swift thing either. Yeah. A couple years ago, I said something on Twitter, and I had to deactivate my Twitter with some of the Swifties. They just got a hold of my tweet, and it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, see, like, I have I have enough of a following to fight that off. You know, where I can use the quote tweet as a weapon. You know, where they get on me, but um, yeah, they're 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 bad. That's and like I said, I made a joke today about. Somebody had a, just a tweet, what's the funniest thing you've ever been attacked for on Twitter? And I just said, uh, I had a tweet once where I said, Britney Spears makes Casey Anthony look like mother of the year. And <laughs> <laughs> I've notoriously taken on some of those hordes, like the Rihanna bots got were huge one time. And then the Beyonce hate got a hold of me. But the Britney one was like every five minutes for a week, I was getting the Twitter login alert. Like they were trying to hack my account. And then also my fa- they found my Facebook uh, which I don't really have a presence on Facebook. I have a personal Facebook, but it's like 30 people. And I was getting the login alert every single, because I'm double authenticated. And on some, I'm triple. And I'm just getting it every five minutes to where I, I just had to mute, like, mute my, the alerts. And uh, <laughs> yeah, those, those people were unrelenting. So I've also heard like the the K-High, the, the Kamala Harris online bot army is pretty vicious as well. Goodness, it's almost a, as if it's like backed up the online presence is backed up by corporations. Yeah, it's you know, and that's that's always one of those things you don't really know. You don't you don't know if these if these are bought and paid for by you know record companies that sponsor Taylor Swift to to just shoot down anyone who dares criticize an album, for instance. You know, um, and that's again that's one of those things about social media manipulation that I wish would get straightened out. Elon, um, but it's also it's also similar to like I say with whenever there's a Disney film out and it's, you know, backlash against casting of the black character. And it's always just like accounts with 50 followers or something like that. And I'm, I'm, as I've said in the past, one of my favorites is what I actually think is true conspiracies is that this, these are actually Disney. These are the studios with a little team, like a social media team doing all of this. So then they push it out. And then I don't know if the actors are in on it, but then the actors have to release a statement and say, we're with her. And they, and it happens, it happens way too much for me to think that this is just organic, I guess, is my thing. So I'll give you one last quick word, David. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to have my first hockey jersey delivered in the next couple of days of the, of the Florida Panthers reverse retro jersey this year. Yeah, so that's I'm a excited. good one. That's, that's one of the, I mean, it's one of the top ones. The, the one that I really love that I hate to admit is the St. Louis Blues. Just that, like, nice. <laughs> That maze yellow with the classic writing on. I fucking I hate that team so much, but that's a great jersey. And so yeah. Florida's Florida's up there also too because I mean I just I like I like how they incorporated just not the Panther logo. They put the Sunshine logo on the front, and yeah, it's it's a slick one. So yeah, it sold out in minutes. So that means Sunrise Florida is now hockey hockey town USA. <laughs> well, it was <laughs> until my Avalanche took your Stanley Cup away. So yes, I, <laughs> but um. All right, thank you. That's it for tonight. <laughs> Thanks, David. Uh, real fast before I jump, I want to I want to podcast today, 
Uh, and I jumped back onto this thread because of something face. Uh, this is Genevieve Roche Decker. Uh, she's a uh, JR Decker on Twitter, former $100 million money manager, seen on Bloomberg, Fox, and Vice, has a Substack. And as I said, um, when stories like this kind of come out of the blue and you're trying to learn about this stuff and you can tell I'm not the most articulate on, on a lot of the tech behind this, um, but you find new characters and you find new people. Some are great. Some are kind of, you can always sense like, oh, I'm not going to, and she's someone who's been following this and seems to know what she's talking about. And uh, again, this comes down to like when a guy approaches you saying, Hey, do you want to invest in FTX or whatever like this? And people go, okay, let me see your books or no. Uh, there were clear kind of like warning signs here. And she, uh, I'm just going to read a few tweets of hers here. She, she goes on to say, I read the 30 page FTX bankruptcy court filing. How bad were FTX's internal controls? Here are the worst examples. Employees submitted expense reimbursements over chat. <laughs> a random manager would accept or reject these reimbursements with an emoji. Um, related party loans, Alameda Research, which is FTX's hedge fund, gave Sam Bankman Fried a $1 billion personal loan. They also loaned Director of Engineering $543 million. Very few records were kept. Most decisions were made over chat, with the messages automatically deleted after a certain time. FTX, a company valued at $32 billion, never had meet board meetings. Neither did most of the subsidiaries. FTX had no cash management system. Management had no idea how much cash was on hand at any given time or even where all their cash was. FTX didn't keep proper records of who they employed. Employees and contractors commingled throughout the different companies and proper documentation of how they spent their time. Certain employees can't be located, which means that that could mean that some employees weren't, didn't even exist. Uh, crypto deposited by customers weren't even recorded on the balance sheet. Presumably all crypto assets just went into one central slush fund and used for just whatever. Um, just again, is, this whole thing was just, it's just kind of like a mirage in a house of cards. Um, I'm going to leapfrog a couple of you guys, Zach and Samuel, hold on. And I know, I know I owe Samuel an appearance because I cut him off last time, but Alex, I'm going to go ahead and bump you up uh, just because you look like you're one of our newbies. So uh, go ahead. Hey, Stephen. Um, I am a long-time listener, first-time caller. Can you hear me? Yep. Keep going. Yeah. So um, just I've only heard about this story uh, just yesterday. I wasn't haven't been following um, the FTX. Uh, thing uh, much more deeply, but what I will say is, is that you know I once worked in a wealth management firm that is more or less around the philosophy of FTX. They were more interested in you know reducing their carbon footprint, and I've only worked there for two months as a graduate accountant, and I don't really do anything with the operations. But what I do know is that a lot that through my time there, while the people were really, really, they were really interesting people in that they really believe in this this stuff. But overall, the operations are just so terrible. Like the just the work, just working up at that place is just a nightmare, a mental nightmare for me. And I know, and I know that they're not genuinely in favor of this kind of like woke uh, 
woke shit when you look when as an accountant um i don't want to say this out loud because it will break confidentiality but i will say that <laughs> it's free it's a free speech platform say whatever you want i'm not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna send people after you oh well for, oh well for one you know i live in australia and the our richest the richest person in australia is a billionaire who specializes in iron ore her name was Gina Weinhardt, and she has um, she wants what they call the Hancock prospecting. And apparently, uh, when I looked at some of the reports, and they did this every month because they happen to be one of the ordinary shareholders. So they used to be one of their um, one one of their shareholders. So they just so I feel like they were just changing their image up a bit. And for me, that just feels incredibly cynical. I also remember that I had to do a survey once, an employee survey, and they had an option where you had to click on Latinx. And you know, you uh, you look at that, you look at that, and you look at it from a conservative perspective, and you follow, you also follow like the uh, debates and discussions about. Um, how conservative are you? Like, are you a NACON or you're a neocon? And I noticed that some of the NACONs are sounding a bit like socialists nowadays. Like, you know, Soap of Maui he used to be, uh, he used to be a national, a neocon, but nowadays he just sounds like someone who writes with Jacobin magazine. Like, if he looks at FD, the story of FDXDX, do you think he's going to have a column about, oh, this is all about the neoliberals' fault, and we should reject all of this because it, it's low capitalism. That's basically part of our philosophy. I, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm quite fascinated with this, but I, I, I don't know. I want to know what's your thoughts. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of one of these people where I was on the outskirts of this stuff. Like I said, I understand crypto a bit. Um, but as far as the inner workings of FTX and I didn't, I didn't use it. And so when something like this, when something like this comes along and I'm someone who's paid to kind of inform with my opinion on what I think about things, the thing I've always tried to remember is don't act smarter than you are, uh, because people see through that right away. Like if I come off and I'm writing about a topic and I'm trying to inform you, like I know everything about it. You, there are writers who do that, and they and they are both conservative media, and they're on the left, and they're especially in mainstream media, Jim Cramer. And so, when I look at a story like this, and I say, "Well, corporatism," I'm not I'm not jumping at that. I'm not look. I'm I'm listening to what this guy is saying, and then I see who's embraced him. And then, like I said, when I see that media, he's paid for media. And he's doing it under the guise of, you know, he called it pandemic preparedness. He He's trying to get in uh, to prevent the next pandemic. Well, that sounds really alluring to a lot of people right now because we don't want to fucking go through that again. And so, but he's doing this in, in the interview with Chuck Todd. He's don He talks about how he's doing this by donating to political candidates. Well, he donated $39 million to the Democratic Party. And so I'm looking at this going, okay what were the democratic party's pandemic preparedness response that is attractive to this guy? Well, they were pretty much lockdowns and, and vaccine mandates and forcing masks. So I'm kind of like, okay. And printing money. Right. Printing oh yeah. Money. No, that's, and uh, the PVP loans and, and the, the coat, the amount of fraud that's in, you know, engaged in that, I'm sure that looks really alluring as well. And so as, as far as w when I arrived to this, 
this merging of kind of woke capitalism with effective altruism, it's basically the same thing. It's the same goal. So I try to keep the woke corporatism part out of it, but it is the same people. It's the same, you know, elitist think and uh, group think where, you know, it's like the Seinfeld wear the ribbon. If you don't wear the ribbon and that's as basic as I can put it. Um, I, I haven't seen much of Saurabh Amari's thoughts on this uh, in full disclosure. I saw a tweet where he's just like these people, these, this, the girl, the girlfriend who ran Alameda research and him are just like so outwardly repulsive. And he's like, and I'm not talking about how they look. And that's kind of kind of what like Faye was getting at. And that's how I was like when I first knew of this guy and I'd seen him in the background of, of things and stories and stuff, but I, he wasn't like a main character. And then, like I said, I'm like, okay, he's, he's looks like a tech bro. And then they play the video and he's just starts speaking and the way that he's talking, it's just like, Oh, he's a sociopath. Okay. And so um, I hope that like satisfact, I hope that answers kind of what your question is on, on the terms of that. But as far as like where I come from, I don't really care where other people, when a topic like this comes along, and especially, I mean, my interest really got ramped up when I found out that, you know, Semaphore Media, he invested in Semaphore Media, which was a huge startup. And also, you know, Facebook and Meta backed their launch event. And I'm just sitting here going, how this, this convergence of big tech and media is really interesting to where the, and I've talked about this before, where the New York Times is attempting to become a tech company. They're trying to get away from being a journalistic enterprise, a newspaper to becoming a tech company. And that's kind of, you know, like Twitter or social media companies are, or this one that we're talking on. And that seems to be kind of what Semaphore was trying to do by courting Silicon Valley's money. And there is a lot of fucking money right now in Silicon Valley. And we see guys like Peter Thiel now are getting into politics. And obviously Elon Musk now is getting into social media and politics. And so I, I look at this idea that Semaphore is backed by Facebook and they're taking money from FTX. And it's like, what does that, how does that skew their coverage? Because that money doesn't come with no strings attached. It doesn't usually come with, hey, I just like you guys. Here's $5 million. And like I said, with ProPublica, that money's gone now. Like Vox had an entire section called Future Perfect, uh, which was all funded by FTX and, and SBF and or SBF money rather. And now that whole section has just been put on hold. And they that whole that whole thing in Vox about Future Perfect, they admit to basically pushing effective altruism. So you have a guy, and I don't know how that relationship works. I don't know if he gave them money because he liked that they were pushing that, or if he was giving them millions of dollars and then saying, "Now you're going to go push this kind of sh this kind of fucking garbage." But it's really telling because if you if you dig into it and you unpeel a lot of this, it makes a lot of sense with how journalists today behave. They don't think that their job is to just write stories and present facts. They think their job is to push this kind of you know, high, high class liberal elite progressivism, uh, long term, long termism bullshit. Just look at who most journalists are today. They're not blue collar kids or anything like that. Most of them come from wealthy families. Uh, we, we've gone through this before, just down the list of people like, you know, Taylor Lorenz or Ben Collins or Brandy Zdrozny or journalists that just come from rich families, rich, privileged families. And they come from that thought. And that's exactly, to me, at least my angle on this is what this is all about. 
Yeah, um, I was just curious if you've, because um, I follow um, Matt Iglesias' uh, Substack, Substack newsletter, and he had, I think he, had a, um, he said that he had a conversation about him. I don't know if you have uh, followed that through, but he basically said that while their, their interests kind of aligned, there was something sneaky about him from, uh, from Matt Iglesias. Uh, and, and having, and, you know, but there was uh, there was a report that he that SBF was getting ready to launch a Substack competitor, and he was trying to lure Matt Iglesias and Nate Silver over to it. Uh, yeah, and, then, and I Matt think it was Iglesias also and it was also Matt Levine. So he was trying to do that, and yeah, it's weird to me. Like I guess Iglesias does have a brain, you know, a, a brain cell or two, uh, but that's he did. He said something just didn't feel right about it, and you know, that, that's kind of like that's that's. Yeah, when Matt Leglacius is like, this is this is fishy. Um, it's it's weird that not too many more people caught on to that. In 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 his world, Matt Leglacius is a perfect example of someone who came from privileged money, um, became one of for some reason one of the most prominent journalists we have in the country to the point where you can just, you know, launch Vox, and then he goes and launches his own thing. He basically gets kicked out of Vox over a lot of this woke ideology, and then now he's over on Substack. And he kind of sees through this right away because he's probably thinking, "I don't want to go back to a place like Vox." <laughs> and that's- I think it, I think Matt I think he basically swallowed the red pill and the blue pill at the same time. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's not quite red pill, but there are things where he seems to not. He can't. No, really, of course He not. can't really go along with it. Uh, Alex, I'll give you one quick final word. Um, okay, so. Like I said, I haven't followed uh, this FTX thing quite deeply. I will also say that with all the money, with all the talk about you know money and politics and how you know we fund these these publications get funded, I'm curious about what's the overlap between people who say that people who invest in this and people who were really suspicious about who funds the Federalists or did Peter Thiel fund your freaking freaking um election campaign or did uh was did the Koch brothers did this which was funny because i remember when the atlantic actually published a series of articles on free speech a lot of people in their audience some people in their audience were really angry that apparently it was funded by the Koch brothers and i'm like wait you are really angry about these people who are investing in something that's actually virtuous because because you read a Jane Mile article once, I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy there. Yeah, and the Atlantic's also mainly funded by Lauren Powell Jobs, who's another one, and that's again that's how this was so easy. Uh, real fast, uh, and then uh, thanks, Alex. I'm going to go ahead and uh, move on to someone. But no, you're, you're right in the sense of the hypocrisy. But again, that comes down to the the right think and the wrong think. I'm looking at a Detroit Free Press article right now. University of Michigan to invest $300 million in socially responsible companies. So that's how fast it took for people to learn something. All right. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks, Al. Zach, give me one second here. We'll still go for about 25 minutes here. All right, Samuel, you're out of timeout.
have sound, don't have your voice. Oh, okay. There you are. Uh, so I'm going off topic tonight, um, going on the topic that was Tuesday, but I actually think it's kind of increased in, re- like my point, I think it's kind of increased in relevance since the, the delay of you, you know, not letting me talk last time. Um, do you remember when the former president announced that he was running for the presidency a couple days ago? No. Because it's like completely out of the news and nobody cares. And I think that's kind of my broader point. Well, I, I can tell you who cares. What the hell is going on? The New York, like, the New York no sense to me. The New York Times is back to doing their fact checking. Glenn Kessler has been shaken out of his nap. Daniel Dale has been unfrozen from carbonite. So they're all happy to be back. I'm so, I, I'm sure that uh, they're upset that their vacation was cut short. Um, but along the lines, that's pretty much the only people that I see that really kind of truly care. Um, again, the people that really care, the people that are really making a deal out of this are the people whose careers and lives and financials depend on him. And that's how this is. Yeah. And I, I agree. There's still some like limited chatter, but like, it's not 2016 anymore. The, the the former guy who, you know, got a 79 million votes or whatever it was. I don't remember how many stupid votes it was. Could be less than that. I don't remember. This guy, you know, he was the most popular Republican ever. You know, he's so great. Nobody cares. It, it, you know, the, the announcement itself was one of the weirdest things I've ever witnessed. And I, I get your point about him wanting just to be in front of the cameras and it's all a me, me, me thing. But it's still, to me, it for a guy who, again, had some pretty good branding moments. Like, I mean, I think Ron DeSanctimonious is one of the worst nicknames I've ever heard. But, like, the guy was able to brand himself for a couple of years. But this, you know, just doing it so cleanly, like, at least the, like, the elevator announcement was entertaining. This was just him droning on and on. Being real, you know, he was acting like Jeb Bush, real low energy. And I just, I don't understand what the hell they're doing. Like, first of all, I don't understand announcing this early in the first place. But now the story's already dead. Everybody's moved on. Everybody just assumed he was getting in anyways. You know, there's no big rally. Um, You know, he's not like, I'm announcing today and I'm going to be down in Georgia tomorrow for Herschel. It's just dead complete radio silence i think that all, like I, I think it what also, the hell is the point i think it also depends on how he goes about this like if he just comes out and announces hey i'm running and disappears for six months and then rejoins the field and starts holding rallies that's one thing but if he starts holding rallies like every fucking week right now or something or i would suspect he's probably trying to get into georgia um, and I think that the Republican Party is probably doing everything to cattle prod him to keep him out of there. Um, <clears throat> but I think it depends on how he goes about it. I thought it was interesting that Ivanka said she's going to sit this one out. Um, <laughs> it's like even your even in, in Don Jr. wasn't at the announcement. It's like even his family's kind of like, we don't want this anymore. Um, but if he's going to hold rallies every week, the fatigue is just going to be it's not going to be something he can overcome. If he just did kind of what he did, he announced and then he just went and laid low the rest of the week. Um, but I mean, I that's don't know. not him though. He's not a guy to lay low. But like, yeah, he but that's can't what go I mean. On Twitter it, it depends... right now and start, you know, he's on Truth and nobody cares what he's doing over there. Yeah, I think it depends on if you know if he starts holding rallies again or if he disappears for a few months. If he just came out last night and said, 
that was basically a filing announcement because that he announced he, he released the filing paperwork and then he did his speech. I gave him 20 minutes and I turned him off. Um, I gave him the part where he said he's announcing and then I, I jumped on here. Um, but if he, if he starts just doing rallies all the time and if he overshadows what happens in Georgia, I think I said on the last episode, I think if, if he injects himself into Georgia and Herschel Walker loses, I think that's it for him. I think he's done. Like you're going to see an erosion of support. Like, I don't think we've ever seen with a candidate so quickly, unless it was like Rick Perry going oops on a stage. Um, So if he stays out of Georgia and maybe that's what he's being told, like just stay out of it, let it happen. And then either take the credit when Herschel Walker wins or deflect the blame to Brian Kemp if he loses or something. I don't know. Um, Then, and again, I don't know how much that race even matters now that we know the Dems hold the Senate, but I kind of look at it that way. If he, if he somehow tanks the Georgia runoff, which is entirely possible, um, I think he's toast. I think he's completely toast. I think he's polling craters because that to me will be the, yeah, we, we are really over this now. Um, and so then it just becomes what, what do his hardcore supporters decide to do at that point? But yeah, I think also the way, you know, DeSantis just basically told people to just chill out. He's like, just shut the fuck up with this right now. <laughs> I think he's played it really well in the fact that, you know, he hasn't injected himself and in. he's just governor going on governing. Every time he gets a question, you know, he kind of answered it sort of when he said scoreboard, but that didn't really seem like a shot at Trump. That just seemed like, hey, you know, I won by 20 points on Tuesday. And, you know, DeSantis said today when he was asked about it again, and that's how this is going to go. The media is going to try to do this again. Um, He just basically said, can you fucking people just shut up for two minutes? Like we have a we have a Senate race to run here. okay?" And I'm thinking that right there is the kind of response you need. And it's not because I'm a DeSantis fan or whatever. It's And that's genuinely what I think most people think. It's like, yeah, shut up, people, you know? Um, and so I think it depends. It depends on how Georgia goes. And then it also depends on his own actions. If he just came out and announced and then he disappears. And yeah, he just is Trump being on True Social. And he's going around, to, you know, to, to galas and he's going around to rallies. Okay, but if again he's in a tight spot because if he keeps holding his rallies, let's say that he really is going to just start campaigning to freeze out the competition because that's what this was about. This was about saying I'll endorse Kevin McCarthy if you come out and you endorse me right now, and he can get as many people in the party behind him so nobody jumps in the race and goes I don't have a chance. Which I think that will work with some people, but I don't think that that's going to work with. A couple. And as I said, if you get nine or 10 more candidates like you did in 2016, it could it could very well tilt towards Trump again. But if the if the party decides and it doesn't look like they're trying to sabotage him, but if the party decides there is one other option that can defeat him, we all know it. We're going to stand back and let that fight happen. Then, you know, we'll see what happens there. But I agree. I agree that it's kind of gone from the media. I purposely avoided it on my podcast two days ago. That was all strategery on my part. Um, I've been trying to not go into it other than to look at media coverage. And the media coverage is about exactly what I thought it was, which is the fact checkers are back. And oh, by the way, um, we're going to ask every single candidate in the race about 2020. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is it, it just seems like he's flailing to me. Like I, I'm not writing the tombstone for Donald Trump as, you know, a political figure, but it seems like he's flailing. Like again, the whole divided field 
would work in his favor. So him declaring early and trying to keep people out of the race doesn't make strategic sense to me. You'd think, yeah, I want Pence. I want Pompeo. I want Haley. I want DeSantis. I want all of them in splitting up, you know, 60% of the vote and I'll ride with 40%. And yeah, I, I don't think he can do, you know, weekend rallies every week because people are fucking tired of election talk. Like I, I stopped listening to podcasts and shit this past week because I'm like, I, I'm just so tuck, you know, tired from all the political stuff, you know, after this midterm. And it's like, I, I can't imagine there are that many people, you know, across the country who are like, yeah, I want to go to a rally the second week of February, you know, like what, what the hell? And I, I, I think it's just going to be chaos. Like there was a story, I think in the New York times, the detailing that he didn't hire one campaign manager. He hired three campaign managers and they're all like on the same level where there's like no like authority bit figure. And it's just like, I don't know. To me, it, it sure seems like he's running scared. And I, I, I'm, I hope he stays out of the news. I just, I can't ignore like what just a weird speech it was too. Like I said, if I was doing it, I'd want to be in front of a huge crowd and I want to break out all the, you know, all the, you know, uh, the, the hits, you know, I want to break out crooked Hillary, uh, low energy Jeb, you know, I'd want to break out all those because announcing, and I guess this is the last point is, We've all seen the good Trump speech where he doesn't, you know, get into personal insults and he acts mature and he acts professional and everybody says, oh, is this the turning point? Is this the day Donald Trump became president? And it never lasts. It never lasts. The very, you know, three hours later, he'll be on the toilet tweeting about Pelosi and, you know, some stupid conspiracy theory. So why would you announce with some, you know, I'm, you know, going to rise above speech? It's not going to last. What the hell is the point? You'd want to excite the base, not, you know, appeal to moderates two years before an election. It just, I, I don't know what the hell they're doing down there. And maybe it, it being Donald Trump, it won't matter what he's doing. But to me, it just screams that he's desperate. So I just wanted to put my two cents in on that. Um, and the whole FTX thing, Jesus Christ, I, I don't have any money there. Thank God. So. I'll go ahead and get off. Thanks, Samuel. Uh, I'm going to bump Rob up, and then I'll probably take Zach here at the end. And uh, I'm probably going to be back here tomorrow night. So uh, if I don't get you guys up and if I don't get you guys in, uh, just jump on tomorrow night, and I'll, and I'll make sure to try and get you. Hey, Stephen. Uh, I'm going to keep it uh, very quick, just at a high level, so you have more time to go through anyone else. Uh, just a couple thoughts is, one, um, I've been – I've been in Bitcoin since 2013. Uh, actually, been working in the industry now for the past year or so. I think it's it, the FTX stuff has just been wild. Um, and just to explain, people usually were not going to FTX to be able to like buy Bitcoin or Ethereum and hold it there. It was where the most liquidity was for high leverage trading. So anyone who was basically like you know very aggressively trading, swing trading Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these other tokens. That's why they were there. That was the real big pull. And it was very ingenious the way FTX did their advertising campaign because they would always be advertising like FTX and you go to FTX US, which had very, very little utility compared to FTX International, which is run out of the Bahamas. So it was a very like um, 
basically embezzling like the international brand, which was illegal to U.S. citizens in a larger banner. But if you ran a VPN, you could just get to the international website. And it was kind of like an open secret everyone knew about. So just wanted to call that out as like a high level pull of what got people in there. I know people personally who've lost eight figures. Uh, they were managing <laughs> oh other people's God. money. I know Ugh. people who um, hours before uh, everything was winding down, they had their friends texting them saying, hey, you know, because it's all public ledger. Like, hey, this hot wallet, like the FTX hot wallet has $83 in it. Get your money out now. And I can sleep delirium withdrawing millions of dollars and getting it out. So like, uh, and people like I've, you know, my investors, like they, they've talked to people in the space and they're on calls with founders and people who like left their company treasury on there. Like it was an FDIC checking account. And just whole companies are wiped out, like just massive, massive blowups. And additionally, just a crazy little thing is that's coming out over the past couple of hours. Um, FTX and Sam, who knows if they're trustworthy? They're obviously not. But they're alleging that the Bahamian government forced them to take the remaining crypto that was in their control and give it to the government wallet. So now the FTX creditors have to go after the Bahamian government to get that money because that's depositor money. So that's just a, a new wrinkle that's recently developing. And like at a quick, quick high level, like I I've been in Bitcoin the whole time. I think Bitcoin's actually the real innovation here. And I think uh, a lot of this stuff has been Ponzi-nomics. And it's, this has been kind of a case where like, you know, me and my brother when we we're kids would like be home by ourselves and our parents would say, you know, you'd be well behaved while we're gone. And then like my brother causes a whole fucking shit storm and I have to eat shit for it now. Like all of this did like basically swing trading, all of these Ponzi tokens, it, it, it's a very obvious example as to why, you know, a lot of this stuff has been vaporware and I've been incredibly skeptical since the start. And I've even had a couple of friends who are calling out um, FTX. I've even had like the tweet stamps to prove it like from months ago that they that they were weighing over their heads and they didn't know what they were doing. So th there were some people in industry that were just wouldn't touch FTX or stand with the 10 foot pole. And I just want to leave my. So one question and then uh, I'll let you go is, um, do you. Do you see anyone getting their money back out of this or how, how, how would that look if they, the closest comparison you have to this is Mount Gox, which um, was an exchange that went down in 2014, which were, were the acronym Mount Gox is magic. The gathering online exchange about 11% of all Bitcoin or eight or 11% of all Bitcoin was wiped out during that. The exchange got went insolvent and uh, had a hacker, uh, the the difference between here and there, so people have still have not been paid out eight years later, those claims. The Japanese government, because the company was based in Japan, is just getting ready to distribute it now. So to short say, if, if there is any money left, it's it's going to take five five years, I'm assuming, to go through all the bankruptcy proceedings, if not a bit longer. People are, are buying uh, bankruptcy claims at the moment for like three cents on the dollar. So if you had 10 grand on there, you can get 300 bucks right now, or you can wait and see where the liquidators come. The real problem is, though, is that FTX, there's no assets. There's very few assets on the balance sheet. They have the house. They have the 7% in Robin Hood. So like there are some assets. Some money will be recovered. Uh but it's good. But it, we're we're talking half a decade probably to go through all the bankruptcy proceedings to find out where all the bodies are buried before anything gets. Is uh, is Sam Bankman Free going to prison? Ooh, love this question. Um, a law. Um, you know, it's funny. At first, I thought it was an obvious yes, but the longer he hasn't been apprehended, the more I'm starting to question <laughs> it. 
Uh, he's like just walking around the Bahamas. He was photographed in a grocery store. Just uh, just a dude walking around in his backpack and t-shirt. It's incredible with both of his parents being lawyers that he's doing things like talking to journalists and being such a being so flippant. With, yeah, somebody with... somebody made a great comment on Twitter that I liked, and I said it on the podcast today, which is he's he's in, he's he's either incredibly stupid or incredibly well protected. Right. Yeah. So I mean, like, <laughs> I hope there's justice. There was an, a rumor mill, um, like from some media uh, coming out today on Twitter that you know they're preparing like the indictment. I, I hope that's the case. It's pretty obvious there's flaw. He's trying to say this was all an accounting oopsie where people were depositing money into the hedge fund and didn't realize that it was actually supposed to go to the exchange and they traded with customer money accidentally. I, I don't think that really flies, uh, you know, but uh, nothing surprises me at this point in 20. Um, yeah. So Greg, great insight. It's kind of the stuff like I like to hear. I saw you with the glowing eyes back there. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this guy up as long as he doesn't try to sell me. on Not at all. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate the insight on that and all of that stuff. And like I said, it's, it's the reason why I do these. So I like, I like to listen and I hope the audience learns and, um, and people can just inform each other. So thanks for that, Greg or Rob. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got the name right. And and we'll do this. Zach, I'm going to have you finish finish this up here for tonight. Eric, Matt, Al's Kerfuffle, Little Red Gator back there. Uh, I'm going to I'm planning on being here tomorrow, so uh, just jump try to jump back in the queue, and I'll try to bump you guys up. Um, yeah, a while back when there was a big media push on FTX, I, I looked into it just briefly, and when I saw some of the company or some of the countries where the companies and subsidiaries were to me it was just a huge red flag like these are the countries that you put businesses in when you want to hide shit from people um the bahamas i think hong kong was involved and then when i saw that his dad was a tax law professor at stanford it made sense because the way a lot of this was structured Somebody who really knew what they were doing and how to hide things was involved in setting this up. So I think, I think Dad maybe gave him some some advice, um, you know, just among family. Um, but as for the the continuing talking through it, uh, I can't think of anything dumber. But as I've been reading, they like they didn't have an accounting department. Yeah, his accounting, his, supposedly his accounting firm existed on Meta. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, on Facebook Meta. Like, that's who did their accounting. And that's, that's, what, I, that's what I mean about this. this. This is a worse shell game than uh, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Like, like, at least that looked like a company and, you know, she could tour the building and stuff like that. And then when you look at this, this just looks like a fucking gamer geek who was just able to just you know, autist his way into the wallets of billionaires. And because he just said the right things. And that's, I mean, that's why I read that bankruptcy filing. Like, th there was nothing to this. It was just a guy on his computer putting forth an image of a slob, but he's a billionaire, so he's giving away all his wealth. And that makes him really smart. And he's doing really good things. And we're going to have him on the stage with Bill Clinton. Um... It's insane. I don't, 
I have no, I have no other words for it. And if I sound gobsmacked, it's because whenever I start thinking about that aspect of this, I'm like, how did none of you, how did none of you look into what this guy was doing or whatever? Like, because I think he was smart enough. If I can buy media, if I can buy media coverage, if I can buy the outlets that would come looking into me, Intercept is one. ProPublica is one. And then, of course, Semaphore, some of these newer companies and Vox, you know, like real Daily Wire isn't going to go poking around at who this guy is. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe Breitbart would, you know, Breitbart Tech would. Um, like Spectator is not going to go doing this. And maybe Daily Caller or Free Beacon. But if they did that, again, who the fuck is going to listen to them in mainstream media? Um, Free Beacon is excellent reporting. It's some of the best like journalism that's out there right now. And every story they write dies because everybody on the left or mainstream media says, "Oh, you're just a you're you're a biased conservative news outlet." And so that's what it looks like to me. Is this guy just went to these media outlets and just paid them off to not look at what he was doing? And that's it's a simple. Uh, no, no, I, I absolutely agree with you there. But uh, some of these investors uh, were people who you would think would be sophisticated enough to, to do their own research. I mean, when, when Enron started to fall, and I was in high school, and I remember this, it happened because the CEO, uh, Jeff Skeeling, couldn't produce financial statements on an investor call and ended up calling one of the investors an asshole. And when it happened, everybody stopped and was like, oh shit, what's really going on here? And with this, like, uh, there was no accounting department to even generate financial statements to have them audited. And the fact that it just, it went on and on and Nobody, I mean, outside of, you know, a few Elon Musk and a couple others bothered to, to look and just see, okay, let me, let me see your financials. Like, have you had them audited? Just basic stuff that you would do with any company. I don't understand it. I mean, it just seems like, you know, he was saying the right thing, so the basics didn't matter. And if you want to invest in effective altruism, we'll send uh, Maricopa County officials learning to count aids. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to me, it, it came. It all came down to him just saying the right things. Like he, it got him on Meet the Press, and. Uh, Again, he cons so many, he used so much of that money to then just turn around and like donate to political causes. And one of my favorite things, and I'll give you the last word, one of my favorite things has been how he, he was the second largest donor to Joe Biden. And then he was the, he donated 30, $40 million this, uh, this go around. A lot of it went to a, uh, a, a primary candidate in Oregon that lost that was connected to his brother and his brother ran uh, one of these funds as well. And one of my favorite things to see was how many members of the media were like, no, 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 no. He wasn't a Democrat. He, he, his, his lawyer's cousin, sister's roommate gave to Republicans. You have to remember that as well. And I've, I've, I've just enjoyed seeing that so much of just these, these people scrambling um, and how just how fucking 
conned they got. And now, you know, this is one of these suspicious timing stories where he, he gets $40 million given to uh, campaign contributions to Democrats and Democrat PACs and causes. Election happens. Like almost immediately is when this came out that, you know, he was filing for bankruptcy and he was kind of exposed. And then supposedly FTX was hacked, withdrawing $11 million or so, um, which I think that that's what he's going to end up going to prison on is that they're going to trace that transaction. Um, And then it, it comes out right after the election. This happens. And now you have Maxine Waters, who was seen taking photos with this guy all over the Capitol. Uh, saying she's going to lead up the uh, the hearings, uh, the regulatory hearings with crypto. And so it's I saw that. And I'm just like, this is just a big joke. Like I turn into the comedian from Watchmen. I just start laughing and go, it's all a joke. Uh, what we're being put through at the hands of the Democratic Party. Uh, Zach, I'll give you the last word and then we're all going to get out of here. Um, no, I agree. And, and even before this, he had been um, asking for the government to provide regulation, um, mainly for his competitors, but that's how it goes. You get in good and you get the government to regulate your competitors to make it harder for them to compete with you. Um, I will leave with this. I saw the doctor uh, Tuesday and everything is stable, so I'm not dying any faster than I was before. That's good news. Um, Good news. Um, the bad news is tomorrow I have to go see my orthopedic surgeon because they've recalled part of my hip. Oh, okay. What does that mean? Uh, it well, I have a fake one because. Oh, okay. The, the, oh, they the, so it's, they they recalled part of your so it's going back to the factory. Maybe they're going to take an X-ray and see and. It's a plastic part in there, and it's apparently wearing out way too fast. And so if hmm. there's a lot of wear on it, then they'll have to do surgery again and go in and replace it. But, I mean, I've had I've had. I've never heard of like, Yeah, I've never heard of that, about that. It's like <laughs> you get the phone call and say, sir, sir, we're recalling your, your limb. <laughs> yeah, I got a certified letter. Oh, man. That, that I opened, and it's like. We don't want to alarm you, but part of your hip is under recall, so we need to see you. <laughs> we can make sure. <laughs> and it's not like one of those things you can just go, okay, and throw it away or whatever. So uh, it's, uh, so are they just going to replace it with another piece of plastic, or are you going to get metal this time, or what? Uh, no, I mean, the hip itself is metal, but it has a little plastic section on it. And it's that little plastic section that is the problem. And so um, I think they'd have to go in and just replace that plastic section and leave the metal where it is. Okay. Well, hopefully that works out for you, but it's good news on the other front. So. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Um, good to hear from right. you. Good to hear you're healthy, mostly healthy. And uh, go get your hip fixed. Uh, I, well, I did that once, and apparently it didn't work. So go try again. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Zach. It's good to hear from you. You too. Bye. Uh, callers, and, uh, and I, again, wanted to give a shout-out to Rob, who I really heard from and, again, gave some great insight on all of this madness happening. Um, and, again, thanks to you guys for listening. And, uh, again, apologies if I didn't get around to, to you guys back there. Uh, I do plan on being back here tomorrow night. So uh, please 
jump back in the queue and I'll, I'll kind of keep a mental note to get as many of you up as I can. So again, this is, this was just, again, one of these mind blowing stories that I, I just, as I said, it's just with all that's happened and all that's been revealed and all the people involved in it. And the fact that uh, this guy's probably going to get Epstein here in the next few weeks, we'll see. Um, like I said, the, for someone like me, where I look at the media angles of this, um, as I said, I, I really, I really hope, and I don't think they will, that some of these organizations come clean on the nature of their relationship, especially as it pertains to coverage. And was he basically buying favorable uh, journalism, which again is the most interesting aspect to someone like me with this. So I'm going to, I'm going to pretty much stay on this and learn as much more about it as I can. But uh, again, this has been episode 63, Taylor Swifty X. Uh, we'll see if uh, the Ticketmaster thing gets itself worked out, but uh, I don't really care about that if I'm being honest. Uh, so once again, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, I'll be back here tomorrow night. I'll also be back on Patreon tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, have a good rest of your evening as it appears that Twitter is on its deathbed, or so it should seem. So see you guys uh, tomorrow.